Sweet Talk, Alliance Edition, IXO Foundation, Investing for Impact, with IXO CEO Sean Conway. Blockchain, Global Commerce, Cryptocurrency, Supply Chain, Decentralization, Liquidity, DAOs, Logistics, Crypto Economics, Game Theory, Fair Trade, Altcoins, IoT, Exchanges, Fintech, 3D Printing, Artificial Intelligence, Security. In a decentralized world where global commerce is frictionless and value is liquid, there's Sweet Talk from Sweetbridge. The show that brings together the worlds of blockchain and supply chain with the thought leaders of a new liquid economy. And now, your host, Jason English. Well, hello and welcome to Sweet Talk, Alliance Edition. Today I'm joined by Sean Conway, uh, a CEO and co-founder of Ixo Foundation. Uh, this is a new partner project for Sweetbridge. It's of a lot of interest to us because it aligns impact investing and tracking data, uh, aligns the economic incentives with uh, outcomes of these projects. But rather than me explain this, I think it would be good to to watch a little two-minute video right now from Ixo. So uh, let's roll that tape. Never before have we had such a unique opportunity to make a positive impact on the world. What really matters now is educating for the future, averting climate change, and ensuring that no person gets left behind. One of the biggest challenges in delivering, evaluating, and investing for results is a lack of good quality, trusted impact data. To count what matters, we need high-definition data with crypto-economic proof-of-impact. What if you could track and value the impact of your contributions on people and the planet? Introducing IXO, the blockchain for impact. Driven by data and optimized by AI, IXO provides a trusted global information network that is owned by everyone. This enables you to become the creator of your own impact projects and a stakeholder in the projects you believe in. The IXO protocol ensures that impact claims are verified with the help of intelligent evaluation oracles. Verified data is a valuable digital asset and is minted as an impact token. This enables us to value what counts. Now you can watch projects around the world grow in value as they generate proof of impact. time you took to watch this video, IXO could have verified exponential impacts across the world, enabling people like Nahal to have a future. If this is the impact we can have in 90 seconds, imagine what we can do together to achieve the global goals to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure prosperity for everyone by 2030. Right. Well, that was that was very enlightening. So uh, I'm glad we we had that clip to to start things off. But um, so, Sean, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Very great to be here. We find this to be a particularly interesting project from the point of view of you know a lot of 
uh, our discussion in the Sweetbridge Alliance is about achieving the triple bottom line. So not just um, economic and efficiency results, but uh, results that impact the environment and also uh, the common good of the, the people working within supply chains. So uh, you know, we find the mission of VIXO particularly interesting to our, uh, our alignment as well. Um, how would you describe the genesis of ICSO and how did you discover, you know, these unmet needs of social impact that the blockchain could uniquely solve? Yeah, so, um, so my background is that I've worked in international development and global health all of my career. Um, in 2008, um, I presented the idea um, that has become ICSO, um, so pre-blockchain. I presented this idea at a at a conference about digital innovation um, in London. And I, I described it as um, a collaborative marketplace um, for delivering impacts. And uh, it was really, really around the time of the financial crisis. I was working within the UK government. I was an advisor um, in the, the health and uh, health systems um, policy and research unit. Um, and there was a lot of talk about austerity. There was um, um, a reduction in the funding commitments that um, the uh, traditional fi financiers of um, development uh, projects, whether in health or education, uh, all of the priority sectors at the time under the Millennium Development Goals, um, were really sort of pulling back on their commitments. And it really struck me that, um, that this dependency on central institutions um, to, get, uh, to get funding and to deliver results on the ground um, was really not something that is scalable and sustainable to the extent that we need that to be. In the other direction, um, I uh, was delivering projects on the ground as well for a lot of my career and, and around that time. And we were expected to report back up into the system, you know, what results have been achieved and so on. And so there's a, there's a supply chain of capital down to the ground, supposedly, and there's a supply chain of data which goes back up. And really there's um, huge um, mismatches between those um, value transfers. And so the timing, um, the um, <clears throat> the consequence, um, the the really the exchanges of value where you're exchanging capital for data essentially um, are in incredibly inefficient, and there are so many intermediaries in the process that what you end up with on both sides of that equation is not really the optimal um, uh, value that you would want to get, um, either the information you're getting back or the capital that's getting down to the ground, uh, and so. It, intuitively, it felt to me like we needed to um, reboot that system and to have a much more collaborative, participative way in which to give people economic decision power as to how capital gets formed and allocated into projects um, at a level that is meaningful to individuals um, and, to, and to communities. Um, and then to have reputational gains for those people who did a really good job of um, staking on projects that they believe in and, and that then perform. But of course, you need to have good measurement. You need to have um, ways of verifying that the impacts have actually been achieved. Um, and so this design, you know, was great in principle, but it was really not very practical with the technologies that we had available. And in fact, even today, if we look at trying to implement that kind of idea using Web 2.0 technologies, it, it just really doesn't cut it. And, and most of this really has to do with the kind of fungibility of, of funding and of data. I think what we've seen shifting hugely, and I, and, and I believe is a, a big part of what um, Sweetbridge stands for, is that it does actually matter 
where um, goods came from. You know, so it matters that that coffee was grown in a certain place by a certain uh, farmer who um, uh, who uh, did that under certain conditions, and not that it's just coffee and it's put into some sort of um, a, um, sort of nebulous mass, and that's you know, they call, all coffee is the same. Um, and so this ability to create non-fungible data and non-fungible capital, uh, which makes sure that it gets to the right place and makes sure that it identifies the right impacts, you know, is a really um, appealing idea that is now possible with blockchain technologies um, and all of the related information technologies we have at our disposal. So that was really the, the origin 10 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's been a long time, and and it always during periods of austerity, that's when you see the uh, you know the Clippers come out, and and they generally tend to cut these kind of programs first because largely because they just don't have good enough data on on the outcomes, or or that or that they're getting you know what they paid for in terms of the investment. So um, you know it's up to individuals as well as these organizations to you know ensure that they're they're getting. Uh, a good kind of outcome from the process. Um, and then it's particularly interesting from the point of view of a supply chain. Yeah. How do I know where this, where these goods came from and that uh, the farmer was actually paid a, you know, a living wage and that they got paid on time. And um, so much of, uh, you know, the inequity in these systems and, and, and why at the roots of the supply chain, things don't develop as, as well as they should is because of uh, you know it's the lack of liquidity and and funding going to the right places. Um, so if we can anything we can do to ensure that that's happening in a in a, a more verifiable way is is valuable. Um, so what kind of projects do you think would be best suited to you know, initially take this on? Because I mean, obviously there's a huge range or a spectrum of different kinds of projects, but which ones are particularly suited to what what Ixo is doing on the ground? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so I, I think that there are really two answers to that. The, the first is about the protocol itself. So, Ixo is a is a is a, a protocol driven technology, which is about how data gets um, captured, how it gets verified, and then how it gets tokenized. And so, any data that can be formatted in what we call a verifiable claim, which includes identifiers, digital identifiers embedded into that claim, which means you can identify um, the beneficiary you can identify um, the issuer of the claim who actually delivered the, the, the claim um, and um, and you can identify the claim itself um, and anything else that needs to be identified an internet of things device um, and so anything that can originate data in that manner where data where the data um, is making a claim about <clears throat> something that has happened in the world you know is suitable for the exo protocol and so so the exo protocol really follows an archetypal pattern of um, taking unstructured um, just information, taking that through an opinionation process, which then adds um, uh, verifiability, it adds um, other enriching insights, and it produces a digital asset. Um, and so uh, when we look at uh, the kind of places in which that could be applied in terms of use cases, uh, it really applies to everything, and that's a very grand statement to make. But these are core new internet standards that we're going to see built into our browsers and being very much part of the decentralized web architecture that, um, that is being built out, um, led by standards bodies such as the W3C. And so 
building on these standards, uh, we've decided to focus on sustainable development. And um, so we have um, these uh, 17 sustainable de development goal areas, uh, which represent the largest crowdsourced set of consensus and uh, agreements about what's important, you know, that's ever existed in the history of humanity. And they really are quite cross-cutting. It's about life on land, uh, life under the sea. It's about, um, it's about our governance systems. It's about education, health, et cetera. So it really is all-encompassing. And uh, what's great about these um, goals is that they, uh, they sit within measurable frameworks. And so there are indicators and there's data structures and there's whole initiatives that are trying to generate information that enables these goals to be achieved, both in terms of um, knowing where to direct resources, knowing what to do with those resources, um, and then measuring that that has happened. And so we, we have this palette of the SDGs, beautiful sort of multicolor palette of SDGs um, that we could operate in. And uh, what, we're, um, what we're noticing though is that there are some thematic areas. I come from a background of, of healthcare, as, uh, as I said at the start. Um, we're finding that in, in the social development space, <clears throat> healthcare, education, you know, a job creation um, are sort of really important thematic areas. Um, and then within environments, um, there's some really exciting initiatives around, uh, around tokenizing carbon credits um, and creating um, investments, um, uh, innovative investment mechanisms that can invest into reforestation, for instance. So we have a number of reforestation initiatives, renewable energy initiatives, and so on. And so if I could maybe talk about one or two example projects, um, in Madagascar, we're um, working on a, a project um, which is both about reforestation, sort of claiming back land that has been um, turned into rice paddies, uh, but it's also about the regeneration of the economy around those, those forests. So it's not just about planting trees, it's also about creating sustainable economy. So what is the job creation opportunity that that creates? Um, how do children who are part of the, um, uh, the families of um, the, the, the people who are planting the nurseries and looking after the forest, how do they get educated and uh, what is their future? And so this theme of growing trees, but also growing children, you know, is a really kind of great one that I'm, I'm sort of pushing forward. Um, and have, we have some, had some chats with, with Mac and others um, at um, Sweetbridge about how we could thematically um, sort of really capture the imaginations of people who have got a lot of capital um, and who sees trees as being something really that stable that you can, you know, you can count, you can measure, you can get dividends off of in terms of um, carbon credits um, and then get capital returns when the trees are harvested. Um, but potentially become, um, they become uh, collateral to issue debt that can be used to educate children and to, and to look after you know, the needs of, uh, of early childhood development and growing children. Um, so some really sort of interesting ideas there around um, how one brings together um, the natural assets um, into the economy, um, how you bring together capital with, um, with, uh, with impact data, um, and start to create a whole new abundance sort of economy around um, around these these kinds of initiatives, and so it's very difficult for me to sort of see things in a very narrow way to say, well, we've got a school program, you know, which is an, an impact bond to educate girls, or there's um, or, they, or we're growing trees somewhere. Um, I really see this in a much more holistic way. Yeah, I mean the uh, the SDG goals provide a a very broad framework, but it almost acts as like this huge set of metadata that within, within 
those metrics, you can kind of uh, apply them to create uh, criteria around around how these projects are going, right? Um, and it's particularly interesting because, yeah, you're. It's almost like you are setting up kind of a framework or an API for these things uh, that, um, you know, where where an outcome may may be paid forward over the course of a of a couple decades, right? So obviously, if you drive educational goals, that that student uh, receiving education doesn't pay back cash right away, but it does pay back in the form of, you know, improved society, uh, lower costs of prison, improved in infrastructure, all of the things that you know come out of that is it's a huge impact on on the future and so how can we um you know set up some kind of goals around that uh, so how can we uh talk about the token economics of this a little bit of between uh, you know since we see kind of everything as uh, we're talking about everything in terms of this triple bottom line at sweepbridge but then there's also the 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 impact of uh using token economics and this non-fungible, verifiable form of token alongside uh, various forms of liquidity or payment uh, that are that are being released, I, I, I suppose, in some way to to spur these projects along. Can you describe a little bit about that, Sean? Yeah. So, so I think the uh, firstly the the uh, I think the important concept here is is that of um, of impact tokens being an asset class. You know, so. This is, I think, a lot easier for us to imagine these days. Now, now that we've got bitcoins and altcoins and um, and so on, it started off with carbon credits. You know, creates essentially creating a, an asset out of thin air. You know, so that so that was kind of like, okay, well, if you can create a carbon credit and it's worth something, it's a piece of paper with a number on it. Um, and then Bitcoin came along, and you know, okay, that's worth something. I'm willing to to trade that. Um, essentially. Tokens, um, if they're created in the right way, um, are an asset. Um, and in the um, in the definition of um, of of capital, uh, uh, which is um, a statistical measure um, that you can measure stocks and flows, and that it can be exchanged with other forms of capital. Well, then impact tokens are exactly that. You know, and um, so uh, so we can start off with the, with a kind of easy to understand carbon credits being turned into a token. Um, as a token, it becomes a non-fungible credit uh, because um, it is uniquely identifiable. It has provenance. It has a whole lot of metadata around how it was produced, where it was produced, etc. <clears throat> and this can be completely transformative um, for how the carbon marketplace um, exists. You know, so uh, so under the current uh, system, I think if we use this as an example, I think it really it really is quite illustrative um, and and to show how the token economics works and how this potentially interfaces with uh, the Sweetbridge protocol. Um, so in the current marketplace, <clears throat> it takes around two years to get a carbon project certified. So we have a, we have a project in, um, in Laos together with South Pole. So South Pole is um, the largest developer of carbon projects and the, the, the biggest um, uh, wholesaler of uh, voluntary carbon credits. You know, so when you buy a L'Oreal product that says carbon neutral, They've, they've purchased their carbon credits from the South Pole. Um, and so we're working with the South Pole to, um, to tokenize the carbon uh, uh, tokens or carbon credits uh, from uh, community-owned uh, hydroelectric um, plants in, um, in Laos. Um, now, <clears throat> it would typically take two years for a project like that to get certified um, through a very complex, very sort of intermediary 
thick um, uh, set of processes. So you get your certification after two years, which means you can start generating carbon credits. It takes about a year for a carbon credit to be, uh, to be certified. Um, so that's three years until that credit comes onto the market. And then you need to sell it. So you might get your payment somewhere between three and four years after you've initiated a project. Now that can be make or break, you know, for that renewable energy project. And it can, it can mean that, <clears throat> that, you know, that, that many thousands of renewable energy projects are just not viable. Um, so if we, uh, if, we, if we completely flip that model on its head, and we create a verifiable token that people are willing to buy um, because they, they know that it's verified. Um, it, it is not necessarily produced through the whole laborious certification process. Much cheaper to produce than that certification process and much more trustworthy and much more tradable. Um, if we produce those kinds of, of tokens, we have a much, <clears throat> a much, um, much reduced pathway to the marketplace for those uh, those uh, carbon credits <clears throat> and we've we've really achieved what Sweetbridge sets out to do which is to make the the, um, the producer much more proximal to the to the to the buyer um, and to cut out a lot of the unnecessary um, kind of uh, middlemen and, and costs so that's the first part of it the second part of it is is now okay how do you create um, how do you create uh, liquidity for that um, hydroelectric plant to be um, to be to be built. Um, well, if you have a, an offtake agreement um, for the electricity and you have an offtake agreement for the purchase of the carbon credits, you now have got the perfect recipe um, to create um, you know, a loan facility which can be offset with um, sweet coins to reduce the, uh, the, uh, the interest repayments and that, that can be used as an incentive um, for the operator of that, of that um, renewable energy plant to do what is necessary to ensure that that plant uh, generates the positive impacts that um, that it sets out to do, you know, so you have a, a measure of uh, compliance or, um, or of value, let's say value measurement, to know that the impacts are being achieved. You have the incentivization um, to make sure that that happens, um, and then you have the financing mechanism, which creates the liquidity for the for the project, and you have the supply chain mechanism to make it all all actually work and flow. Um, so I think that's a great example of, of how this could uh, possibly kind of all fit together. Yeah, indeed. There's a lot of working capital requirements for any kind of project like that. And so if you set up a huge hump in front of the ability to deliver, you're, you're you could sabotage any efforts to, to get something going. If you're, and also, so time and money are, are still the uh, important factors. So how can we move it up and and tie it to you know, achievable goals along the timeline instead of doing that. So I, I really like that approach that you're talking about. Um, so a big factor of your success at Ixo is, is about building a large community of interest. Um, so including sources of funding, other technology partners, uh, organizations, governments. Uh, how do you go about engaging and building an audience with, with so many different types of stakeholders in your, in your ecosystem? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very big question. Um, a lot of our stakeholders are not from the crypto community. In fact, I would say most of them are not from the crypto community for starters, um, except you know, there are many, many people who are interested in our, in our work and, and, have, uh, and want to support it. Um, there's also the potential for a lot of um, um, interoperability with uh, blockchain 
um, protocols and, and applications and so on. And so we um, were very actively involved in um, key partnerships with leading blockchain companies um, like Sweetbridge, uh, like the Ocean Protocol, um, like the Sovereign Foundation, um, and, and some other sort of leading pieces of the, um, of the, the, um, the puzzle um, that are bringing together the necessary kind of uh, components of this new stack. Um, and, um, and so through that, uh, we are actively involved in, um, in hackathons and all the sort of tech, uh, kind of tech meetups and so on, um, which is the real fun part of the work that we do. Uh, and then, um, and then we're, um, we're speaking to the development community and the development community is, so this is not, uh, not computer, not a code development, but international development, sustainable de development. This is a lot more my, my comfort zone because it's the, the space I've been working in all of my career. Um, and so, you know, we're involved at the level of the UN. Um, we're involved with, um, with a number of uh, kind of leading uh, international organizations and uh, have them on board as collaborators. Um, we, we have received funding from UNICEF, from UNICEF Ventures. You know, and this tends to build um, networks and build credibility as you get more and more partners on board. Um, and uh, so there's, there's, you know, there's that kind of level. And then there's, then there's the in, impact investors. And so um, it means a lot of speaking at conferences and, and kind of reaching out um, to these uh, uh, key sort of influential groups. Um, we uh, have an ambassador program and our ambassadors are really great. They're from all around the world. So they're people who have come forward and um, volunteered um, their, their, their interest and their efforts. And a lot of those people are actually uh, key influential people within those kinds of organizations. You know? And so whilst the engagement happens at an institutional level and, and, is, and is sort of quite formal at, at one level, it's really about people at the, at the heart of it. You know? So who are we getting as, as real advocates um, um, of um, the project and, uh, and, as, and, and as ambassadors and so on. And uh, for us, the next phase is to really make it possible for anyone to launch an impact project and, um, and to run an impact, impact project of their own. And so for me, the, 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 the core of what EXO is about, you know, um, it's built on solid protocols and so on, but it's really about enabling a democratic participation you know, in, uh, in, in financing impact, investing in impact, delivering impact and, and evaluating impact. And I believe everyone should have the tools to be able to do that. I think that, you know, the, the days of, of sort of making impact investment a, um, a kind of privileged, uh, a privilege of uh, institutional investors, you know, I think really needs to change. Um, both because we need a broader base of capital, but we also need greater civic engagement. And there's nothing like, you know, giving people the opportunity to have a stake in something, skin in the game, for them to be interested, you know. So give them skin in the game in carbon markets or in educating kids or whatever. And um, they'll want to see those outcomes. They'll want to see the financial returns and the, and the impacts, the social impacts, the environmental impacts. And um, I think the new generations of, um, of investors, particularly Millennials, you know, so there's there's uh, sort of really good evidence um, from surveys um, that Morgan Stanley has been doing year on year for the past for the, for the past number of years um, that shows that the percentage of millennials who um, to whom it matters that their investments go into investments that have an impact that those percentages have been increasing year on year and they're now sitting probably close to ninety percent. So I think we're going to see a complete you know kind of shift in the way that um, 
the way that uh, impact is financed and the way that impact is seen to be not just kind of a nice to have on the side, but it's actually seen to be the thing that I want to buy. Um, and I think this is also really important from a, from a, a corporate perspective and the triple bottom line that you were talking about earlier. You know, the, 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 bo the bottom most line is, <laughs> is, is the kind of impact stuff. Actually, it should be the top line um, because a lot of, you know, the core value that is going to be delivered in this new economy, um, the, the decarbonized, um, um, uh, dematerialized economy is going to be top line kind of stuff. Um, and, and everything that's produced at some point is going to have a fingerprint. And we're, we'll be able to know from that fingerprint, you know, has it had a positive impact or has it had a neg negative impact? And uh, we have now the data tools and so on for this fingerprinting. And so, you know, I, I, I had lunch with Mac in, uh, in Berlin a few weeks back and we were chatting about, you know, how, how to bring together our two protocols. Um, and everyone talks about carbon footprint as being a, a kind of an idea that we kind of all intuitively get. Yeah. I said, why don't we, why don't we have a, a, why don't we have a carbon fingerprint, which is what is on the goods and so the goods that we buy and that pass through the supply chain. Um, so you can, you can look at it and you can check the fingerprint and know, you know, how much uh, of an impact this, this has had. Um, and uh, anyway, so those are things that are um, theoretically possible with the kinds of tools we have now. Um, and now we just need to make it, make it sort of uh, possible in, in, the, in the reality um, by creating the right kind of models and incentives and so on. And I believe that by having the economic power of capital, which Sweetbridge brings, um, you know, the kind of sweet deal, uh, and, uh, and having the data capabilities and bringing those two together provides really the, the incentive and, uh, and the means. Yeah, that's a really good thought, Sean. Um, I think that yeah, consumer demand is going to drive this just as much as investment or, or more so. And so uh, once we have the, this insight and the transparency and into how goods are made and where they're made and the impact of those goods, it's going to have a, a sea change effect on um, uh, buying behaviors. And it, it could really, uh, the companies that that prepare themselves for that kind of change are going to be best situated in the, in the future economy uh, with these, this new set of buyers. Um, and it's certainly, there are so many elements that are going to lead into uh, how this is all going to happen. I mean, uh, from both of our technologies uh, stacks, as well as all the organizations that you just mentioned. So, um, well, thanks for joining me, Sean. I mean, where can people go if they want to get involved in Ixo and find out more? Great. Well, we're, we're about to launch um, our beta um, platform, uh, which will be at ixo.world, ixo.world. Uh, depends on when you watch this video. It might have launched already. Um, it, uh, we'll have an ongoing onboarding process, inviting everyone to join this new world. And uh, what that enables you to do is, is not only just have interest in the project, but actually to start um, playing around with the tools, you know, setting up your own projects, um, looking at the projects that are running, checking out, you know, how they're performing um, and in future actually being able to stake onto those projects and uh, really become a stakeholder and a participant with economic interest in, in the projects. Uh, so that's kind of on the roadmap for, for down the line. Exciting. Well, can't wait to see that platform. I'd, I'd love to play with it as well. So uh, sign me up for some testing. I uh, can't wait. Wonderful. All right, Sean. Well, uh, thanks so much, and thanks for joining us on Sweet Talk today. Right. Thanks very much. Sweet Talk. <laughs>